So, um, we are in our fourth week of a five-week series on Monday Morning Trust, and this is coming out of our Project 119 process. Uh, how, how many of you are engaged in the Project 119 project? Uh, I, I hope that you are being blessed by that. If you have not signed up and you are um, still interested, uh, you are more than welcome to do that. Right around the corner in the lobby is a Project 119 table, and we can meet you there, and um, we are still still, we're getting our, our new booklets in. We have some booklets coming in this week um, that you can be a part of. These booklets have a daily study for you that engages you deeply in God's word, gives you different tools and um, uh, ways to think about God's word um, by doing some different Bible study methods. It's, it's uh, in fact, in a moment, you'll hear a story about um, just how powerful this is in the lives of some folks who are a part of this. Um, and so we're, we're continuing this this part of our series because we want we want you to be equipped not just to be blessed um, by God's presence and learning and growing when you're here on Sunday morning. Um, that's, that's a good thing. We, we hope that you experience that warmth and presence uh, of the Holy Spirit when you come here. But we also want you to be equipped tomorrow morning to experience that presence. We want you to be able to feed the, the soul that God has given you with his word in such a way that on Tuesday afternoon or Friday night, wherever it is that you are, you have um, that, that ability through the power of the Spirit to live into um, faith and trust and grace and the love that God has for you. So that's what this whole series is about, is equipping us to live into that Monday morning trust. As we go to God's word this morning, as is custom, we have a person praying for me. Dewanda is going to pray for me. Um, Dewanda is so fun to ask to do things like this because she... Um, um, she's so comfortable up here, and she feels so comfortable doing this. But one of the great joys that I have in working with Dewanda is watching her flourish and grow. And this is even a part of her flourishing and growing that she um, can lead us in a prayer for God's power through his word today. Dewanda, would you lead us, please? Thank you for this honor, and it's not working, I don't think. <laughs> you Thank keep you talking. Thank you for this honor, and um, even though it terrifies me, let's pray. Lord, um, I, I ask that you bless each and every one of us, and especially ask that you um, bless our pastor and that you speak through him. And may each and every one of us get more understanding of what the Lord is trying to say to us. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dewanda. <laughs> so fun. It's so fun. So um, this passage this morning Jeremiah 9, 12 through 24 is a very happy passage. Uh, not at all. It's not. It's, we're talking about hard stuff here today, folks. This is the sort of stuff where you read this and you go, oh man, Lord, like really? Is this what you're, you're telling us in your word today? But, um, you know, I was talking to somebody this week and, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, should I change this text and do a different one? But I was talking to somebody this week who's walking through Project 119 and she shared with me a little bit about what God is doing in her. And, and she, she wakes up every morning. She's a member of us. She's, she has kids. She's, she has a family. Um, she wakes up every morning excited to do it. 
Um, she wakes up and it's like, you know, she almost gets a, that hunger to just sit at her table with her Bible open and go through the exercises and the study that, that is there in the booklet. And um, what's, what's interesting for her and her experience with it is that it has allowed her to speak into some pain and struggle in her life in a powerful way. If you remember, if you've been doing the study this past week, there was a study where you had to rewrite a psalm. Anyone remember that one? You had to rewrite a psalm and you rewrote it for someone else that you were, in a sense, praying that psalm for. And this person was telling me about their son. A son who's going through struggle, depression, who's dealing with hurt and pain in his life and, in her words, is even at the bottom of the pit. And for her, the exercise of being able to take that psalm, and I don't even remember what psalm it was, but that psalm and put the name of her son in that psalm in a way where she could pray that truth and that, that hope and that life and those promises of God for her son became this huge exercise for her because it not only was a claiming of blessing for her son. A claiming that these things that are in God's word, they, I, I pray that they are true, but it was also to her a reminder of how God has been faithful to her and her family in the past, and God has lived out these truths. And God has shown himself to her son and her family in a way in the past that's been powerful and something then that she can trust in the future, knowing that God's been faithful in the past, he will be in the future to come. And I was struck by that in light of this morning's text because this morning's text is about us hearing the promise of God when things are hard. Even for this woman and the depression and the hurt and the pain of her son, she can look into the promises of God that he has made to, to, to her and to her son in the past, and she can trust that the future is going to be God's for him. As we look at the pain in our world and the struggle in our world and the brokenness in our world, we can pray in the trust that God is faithful to his promises and the things that he says he will do and the things to come that we hope and long for and that he speaks to us in his word will happen. And that's in part what this passage this morning highlights to us. Let's dig in. Jeremiah chapter 9 Verse 12, what man is wise enough to understand this? Who has been instructed by the Lord and can explain it? Now we hear those two questions and we're like, okay, you know, what's this hard question? What is this thing that we're trying to figure out? And here it is. It's a very practical and difficult thing to hear. Why has the land been ruined and laid waste like a desert that no one can cross? And we hear verse 12 here, and right from the beginning, Jeremiah and God is setting us up to hear about the difficulty of the world of the Israelites. And if you don't know the story of how this whole prophet thing works, Israel was a people thousands of years ago, they were God's chosen people. And they were people who God called to live in obedient relationship with him, but they messed it up over and over again. 
And at times in their history, God called people to come and remind them of the promises that God had made to them and the promises that they had made to God and how they were his chosen people. And these people were prophets and they at different times spoke truth into the life of Israel. Jeremiah was one of those people and he actually has a distinctive name. He's often called the weeping prophet because he always carried happy news. He almost never did. He carried the hard things. He carried the, 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 the things of God's judgment, the things of the consequence of the people's sin in their lives. And this passage from Jeremiah 9 is not an exception to that. In fact, we're going to hear that God even calls the people to weep. And God calls the people to cry in a cry of lament because sin affects the world. How we live affects our world. And the sin that we have not only committed now, but that we have been a part of committing in the past and that has been a part of our world has had consequence in the world around us. And yes, that is environmentally. Yes, that is because we haven't take care, taken care of creation. And we're going to hear more about that in the text. But it's also in so many other ways. It's relationally. It's in fractured relationships in our world. It's in emotional brokenness. It's in spiritual poverty. These things are part, in part, consequence to how we have lived in the world. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, but wait, I have been faithful to God. I have been a person who has walked with God in my life. Yes, that's true, but have you done it perfectly? Has anyone gotten it right? Because every time we live into sin, it impacts our world. Think about this. If I am a dishonest person, do I make the world more dishonest? Yes, I do. If I am judgmental, which it's hard not to be sometimes when we look at news or when we, you know, see any number of things, if I am judgmental, does my world become more judgmental? If I am honest, does my world become more honest? If I am loving, does my world become more loving? So for us, when we think, okay, you know, I've, I've follow, I'm following God, I'm following Jesus, it doesn't really impact my world. Unless we have done it perfectly, the consequence of our sin and disobedience has had impact on our world. It is... It is broken relationship oftentimes in our marriage, with our children, and in our families, and in our neighborhoods. And certainly as we look at our nation, we see that consequence over and over again. But let's continue reading and dig more deeply into what God is calling us to here. Verse 13, the Lord said, it is because all this consequence, the brokenness of the world, the laid waste of the earth, it is because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them. They have not obeyed me or followed my law. Instead, they have followed the stubbornness of their hearts. 
They have followed the Baals as their fathers taught them. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. See, I will make this people eat bitter food and drink poisoned water. I will scatter them among the nations that neither they nor their fathers have known. And I will pursue them with the sword until I have destroyed them. And we read that and we, we're like, whoa, hold on here. That's heavy duty stuff. And it has its source in they haven't followed the law. They have committed adultery, uh, idolatry. So we think, well, we haven't worshipped other gods. And yet, the more we think about it in our world, the more we realize we have. We have been oftentimes materialistic Christians. We have been people who have worshipped at the, at the altar of politics or relationships or family. We have worshipped at other gods, ourselves at times. And so when we hear these consequences of poisoned water, when we hear these consequences of a desolate, desolate world, we, we should be at some levels convicted because certainly if we look at our world around us, we have to see that these consequences are at work, right? Do we have, this question, do we have a fracturing of provision in our world? Meaning, does everyone have everything that they need in our world? And the answer is no. We have the poor. We have the hungry. We have millions of people who today will at least on some level become unhealthy, if not die, because they don't have clean water. We have people in this world who cannot eat healthy. They can eat, but they can't eat food that sustains them because they're impoverished and the only food that they can often purchase or the only food that they have access to is not a healthy food. We live in a world where provision is fractured, but then we even move on and we think about fracturing in community. That's one of the, that's one of the consequences here. Do we have fractured communities in our world? All you have to do is watch the news today. All you have to do is look up your news website and you see protests here. You see violence there. You see uh, blue line people Black Lives Matter people. You see people who are black and white and any other ethnic background in the middle and there's no peace. You see people who are poor and people who are rich. You see, you see people who are on a day like today, Packers fans versus Bears fans. You see, fracturing in relationship is all over the place. And for us to understand that this prophecy, this truth that Jeremiah is called to give Israel is in many ways expressing itself in our world right now. We see it. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, folks, hey, it's time to get your book out on Revelation so that we can look and study Revelation because the end times are coming, prophecy is being fulfilled. I'm not doing that. But I am saying that prophecy has power. And when Jeremiah is called by God to speak to Israel and we have that word written down for us to see that that is still at play in the world around us right now is important because then we can begin to address the problem. See, I hear about the consequence. I see the consequence of this prophecy in our world and I think to myself, how do we fix it, right? 
I'm a problem solver. I don't want things to continue to be the same. So how do we fix it? Let me give you a picture. Let me give you a picture that can maybe help you understand a little bit how we can live into this in our world. This past week during the night of the presidential debate, there was another activity on television that if you caught it, you were blessed by, I'm sure. Recently, uh, a man, a player for the Miami Marlins named Jose Fernandez was out boating with some friends at night when there was a boat accident. And he, and I believe it was three others in the boat, died. They all died. He's a professional baseball player with the Miami Marlins, so the whole team is affected and impacted. I believe this happened on like Monday night. Tuesday night, the Marlins played. And they played at home against the New York Mets. And you had a team that was hurting. The whole team loved this guy. He was, he was an integral part of the Miami Marlins franchise. So they were hurting. And if you saw some of the video, and if you haven't, go home and Google it. Miami Marlins, Jose Fernandez game. You will, you will see all this stuff. It was powerful. At the beginning of the game, a group of players gathered at the center of the field for just a, a, a silent moment. And then you had this, and it sounds so bizarre that it was powerful, but you had a trumpet playing, take me out to the ball game quietly. But if you see it, it was a powerful, powerful moment of just lament for a dead friend for these baseball players. And then, of course, they, they, they came in and they, they rode on the mound and they, they were, there were tears already at the beginning of the game. But then the game progresses. Top of the first, Miami's out in the field. They get three out. The, the Mets are now um, out in the field. The Marlins are up to bat. Our first batter for the Miami Marlins is a player by the name of D. Gordon. D. Gordon is a black man. He weighs about 170 pounds and he hasn't hit a home run all year. And if you know anything about baseball, 170 pounds is a sneeze. The guy just says, I mean, like Giancarlo Stanton, who's another player on the Marlins, weighs like 250 and looks like a brick house because he's massive and he hits these big home runs. Uh, D. Gordon, he's not a home run hitter. He's not made for that. But he does want to do something special for Jose Fernandez, his friend. So he goes up to bat wearing Jose Fernandez's. He's the first batter. He goes up wearing his batting helmet. And he's usually a left-handed batter. Instead, he bats from the right. And the Bartolo Colon, the pitcher for the New York Mets, throws the first pitch. And D. Gordon swings at it from the right-hand side. He's not a good right-handed batter. But he swings with the exact same swing of Jose Fernandez so that everyone could see this was a memorial to his friend. It's a strike, of course. But then he takes off the equipment of Jose Fernandez and he grabs his stuff and he goes to the left side of the, the plate. And there's another pitch... But then there's another pitch, third pitch. And this guy who weighs 170 pounds, hasn't hit a home run all year, grooves one into the upper deck of Miami Stadium. It's a home run. But that's not what's special. Because the home run just changes a zero to a one on the scoreboard. What happened next was what was special here and what we want to highlight. 
D. Gordon goes to first base and his eyes are wet. He goes to second base and a tear comes. He goes to third base and both sides are now dripping down his cheek. He comes home and he is weeping. He touches home plate and he begins to go back to the dugout. One of the first people that he hugs is Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds is a batting coach for the Miami Marlins, if you know his story. He retired in shame because of performance-enhancing drugs. You get to the top of the, the, the dugout, and there's Don Mattingly, who had his own challenges when he was with the New York Yankees. He's the manager of the Miami Marlins. You get these other players. Some have had issues of paternity, of multiple children. They've had drug issues. They've had you know different questions of integrity and whether or not they've paid taxes. All that stuff is there. But you know what happens in that moment? A black man comes into a dugout with people who are Latino and white and people who are from this country and that country, this background, this city, this community. There's everything and anything and all they can do is while D. Gordon is going down the dugout is hug and weep and love They comfort a man who laments for his dead friend and they themselves lament and in that lament they express a love that frankly I won't remember in two or three years who wins the World Series this year because I won't care. I will never forget that home run. I will never forget that walk down the dugout for the simple reason that in that moment, in the lives of a bunch of men, and you know the line, there's no crying in baseball. They're weeping openly because all of a sudden they could simply be love to each other. And what's interesting is right at the end of the game, D. Gordon was interviewed by a reporter. If you saw the interview, he basically, he said this. He said, tell us about that home run. And D. Gordon said to the reporter, he said, folks, if you don't believe in a God, you watch that and you better start believing. Because he saw, not just in a home run over the wall, but in everything that he experienced as he walked down that dugout, people embracing and loving and being community while you flip a couple channels over, watch the presidential debate, and you see all the condemnation, judgment, and separation that comes. I vote for the other. I vote for that because I think that that's God's expression of himself. Yes, no one, we don't know. Is anyone convert to Jesus in that moment? I don't know. But what I do know is that there are a lot of people who wondered whether or not God, was God present in Miami Stadium that night. Because they saw something that they want more of. They saw D. Gordon. They saw the other players. They saw the weeping. And they saw the love. And for us to live into a world where we express more of that love to a world that is broken and fallen and hurting. Because God reminds us in his word that it's bad. When there's not that love, here's the things that come. Verse 17. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Consider this call for the wailing women to come. 
Send for the most skillful of them. Let them come quickly and wail over us till our eyes overflow with tears and water streams from our eyelids. The sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How ruined we are. How great is our shame. We must leave our land because our houses are in ruins. Now, O women, hear the word of the Lord. Open your ears to the words of his mouth. Teach your daughters how to wail. Teach one another a lament. Death has climbed in through our windows and has entered our fortresses. It has cut off the children from the streets and the young men from the public squares. Here we are called to see as Israel is. We are called to see this brokenness and we are called to lament over it. We're called to this lament, to wail, God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Now, this is something that I think we can all hear in our world. This is something that we can grab onto. How many of you are sick and tired of the news reports of shootings and divisiveness and protests of violence? How many of you are tired of it? I am too. I'm, I'm sick of seeing it. Not because I don't think there's something worth protesting. There is. There's something we're talking about. There's something worth the ideas. But what I can see is I can see the brokenness. And I, when I see that, should be moved in my heart to tears. To lament. To lament what is seen in the brokenness and sinfulness of our world. To notice it for what it is. To notice the pain that it causes, that it causes a woman whose son has been shot. For a family of a, of a police officer who has been condemned wrongly or otherwise. That I can see a community that is shattered with businesses with broken windows. That I can see the violence of people face to face with police officers. Some of them are just trying not to get hurt that night. And I see the violence. And I need to be moved to tears. Because that's not the way things are supposed to be. It's not the way things are supposed to be. And I need to see that, internalize it, and say, God, I don't want that for my world. I don't want that. Because you don't. You want something else. You want peace. You want love. You want grace. You want hope. You want life. And this isn't that. I need to see, I need to see all sides as best as I'm able. To see a family of a black man who is dead and gone and lament that that person won't be at the next family gathering. To see police officers who are trying to do a job that is really hard to do and they get caught up in something it goes too far or is hard to make a decision or in a split second, whatever. And I need to lament them and their position and their difficulty and say, God, come and make this different. Make it different. Because there's consequence if it's not different. And he gives us that glimpse too and it's coming. Verse 22, say this is what the Lord declares. The dead bodies of men will lie like refuge on the open field, like cut grain behind the reaper, with no one to gather them. Here we see the death that is the consequence of not living into life 
Because what, what does Christ say in John 10.10? 10? I have come to give life. And you might have it to the full. But when we're not participating in things of Christ, then we're not participating in things of life. We're participating in things that are not life. What things are not life? They are death. Anything that is not Christ is not life. Seeing the power of things that don't bring life in our world should fuel, should be fuel that moves us to want better, to want more life, and to want more Jesus. We have to want more. Now, it is Christ who works in us. Don't get me wrong. You, you and I can't fix this. We don't have the power. We don't have the ability. You and I are not good enough. But God is good enough. And as he continues to transform and move us through the power of his grace and his love and his transformation and his life, and as, he, as we allow him to come in and fill us and then express it into our world, then those things that are, that are the future here, the dead bodies laying in the streets, that we already see, we've already seen it, we've gotten a glimpse. I don't want any more of that. I'm instead going to live towards the thing, things that bring life into my world world. I am going to be love. Love to my wife and to my children and to my friends and to my community and to my family. And the funny thing is, is sometimes it's a simple choice. Let me give you an example. Saturday morning. A lot of Saturday mornings, I do a very similar activity. I sit at the sideline of a soccer game. And depending on how that week has gone, I can make a choice in that hour or hour and a half on the sidelines of a soccer game. Because I'm just sitting, I'm not coaching. I don't know many people there. I know some. But I can do, I can do sort of, you know, my, my, my cone of silence, right? I can sit in my chair. Maybe some of you do this. You sit in your chair, put your umbrella up to be guarded from the sun. And you, I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to worry about it. I can just sit and be quiet and just rest for a moment. And if I had a tough week, oftentimes I make that choice. But the thing is, I'm on the sidelines with the same group of people every week. And these are people that I can come to know and come to love and come to be encouragement and hope. And they can be encouragement and hope to me if I am but willing to participate. I put that cone of silence around me and I miss it. And it's a simple choice. That I can go into that hour and a half on a Saturday morning seeking to be something that is God's love into my world or not. And all of us have that choice. You can choose to love those kids tomorrow in your classroom or not. And sometimes it's easier than others and I get that. And, and we can choose whatever it is and wherever it is that we go. You can choose to live in your, your, the home with the rest of the vets and you can choose to love them or isolate yourself from them. It's a choice. And sometimes it's easier than others, isn't it, Harold? We can choose to do that in whatever context we're in. Whether we work with people in homes or whether we work with people in classrooms or we live with them in our neighborhood or it's a way we care for our kids, we can choose to be a part of love or not. Now, it's Christ's love expressing itself in us, yes, but we choose to turn the valve on sometimes or turn it off. We get this closing doxology that is very interesting. 
because it tells us of where we should seek to boast about something. Let's read it, verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this. Then he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. We hear that we shouldn't boast in our ability, and after reading all the rest of the text, I'm not sure I would ever do it anyway. But then we hear that God is kindness, justice, and righteousness in our world. We hear that, and it certainly reminds us, God is the sovereign God. He's the one who gives us energy for us to be able to do anything. He is the one who shows up in the world and brings these things, kindness, justice, righteousness, grace, love, all these other sorts of things. But for us to ask the question, how does he do it? Sometimes he does it supernaturally. Sometimes God shows up in the world. I think he did that through that whole D. Gordon thing. God showed up in a way that was powerfully, amazingly, incredibly, miraculously him. And we look at that moment and we say, God, thank you for that gift. It was extraordinary and special and unique and for which we are grateful. But I also think that a lot of the times the way that God shows up with kindness, justice, and righteousness in the world is you. And me, he shows justice, kindness, and righteousness in your world when you are kind or just or righteous. He shows himself to the world through us, right? Christ has come to live in us. The Holy Spirit is present within us. And so as we live into a world that needs hope, needs justice, needs kindness, needs righteousness, we are the ones that God uses through his power, his grace, and his love to bring it. And this world needs it, doesn't it? Desperately, this world needs it. Now I'm going to take a risk this morning to show you a little bit how our world can be a little bit more kind, a little bit more righteous, a little bit more loving, a little bit more graceful. I am going to take a risk. I hope this works. God is a sovereign God and for that I'm grateful. I need somebody who knows, I need two volunteers, somebody who knows that they are going to vote for Donald Trump in November. Is there anyone who is willing to say that they are absolutely going to vote for Donald Trump? Sir, please come forward. I need someone who knows that they are going to vote for Hillary Clinton in November. Is there anyone who does know that? Matt, please come. If you would stand here, remind me of your first name. Don. Don. Matt. Welcome. Stand here, look at each other, face each other. <laughs> you can hand your bouquet off. Yeah, let's stand up. Here's the thing. One of you is going to be very disappointed come November. But in the meantime, how are we going to live into that no matter what happens? This guy's a pretty good guy. You ever met him? You talked to him? Oh, yeah. This guy's a pretty good guy. You know him? You talked to him? And I hope that even knowing this doesn't change anything. Because you are still image bearers of Jesus Christ. You know Jesus. I know that. You know Jesus. I know that. 
You're part of the family of God. So here's what I want to ask. Can you pray for him? Can you pray for the leader that he is seeking to vote for? Can you pray that God shows and expresses his love to her in a way that she will know God's presence and it will be a part of her work in what it is that she does? And can you pray that the people that she works with, even when you disagree with them, turn on the news and it drives you crazy, do you do you think you can pray that God would flourish them? Matt, Donald Trump, can you pray for him? Can you pray for the people that he talks with and that he looks for counsel and if he's elected, that they express leadership and policy and do some of the things that they do, no matter how much they might drive you crazy? Do you promise to pray for people like Don who support him and you disagree with him? No one's going to say otherwise. But that that disagreement doesn't become a barrier to the love and the grace that you can share, the two of you, in Jesus Christ. Do you promise to do that? Shake a hand, gentlemen. God be praised. Please sit down. (laughs) Folks, that's something, I know it sounds trite, but guess what? In a lot of this world... This couldn't happen. In the world that we live in, that can't even happen. Now, I'm sure that Don and Matt could have a conversation where they might get a little bit more riled up and emotional or, or, you know, have opinions and all that other sort of stuff. But you know what they could do? Is they could come together and say, I will love you. And I will pray for you. And where did they do it? Before the table of grace. Greatest expression of love this world has ever known. Has the power to take messy, political, divisive things and bring life. Would you pray with me? Lord, may we grab on to those things which have this beauty. The beauty of love that moves beyond stigmas, stereotypes, divisiveness, opinions, parties, cultures, race, whatever moves beyond it and that we can see each other with the eyes of love that you have given us and reminded us of at the table. You've given us love and you've given us grace. You've given us life in abundance. And Lord, may we participate in the things that are about life. 
about the future that is sure in Jesus Christ, the eternity which is promised in your presence, that we dine at the table with you forever. Lord, may we participate in those things that grab onto that, participate in those things that bring that life to our world, into our families, into our marriages, into our children, into our parents, into our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, into our county, and to our state, and to our country, and to our world. And then, Lord, may we see the world that is broken and dark, the world that is divided and in pain and suffering, that we may see there be peace and life and the beauty that you have for us, your people. Father, we pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen.